you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the earnings keep rolling in. Intel, Snap, Twitter, all on the move in the after hours. The calls for Intel and Snap just kicking off. We are dialed in, ready to break down all the big headlines. Plus, Didi hits the skids again, the stock falling another 10%. The latest headline out of China that had investors slamming the brakes. And later, gushing with opportunity, one top technician says it is time to hit the buy button on big oil. The two names he is playing for pop. But we start off tonight with a pair of social climbers. Shares of Snap and Twitter both soaring in the after-hours session on earnings. Snap's call just getting underway. Let's get straight to Julia Borson, who's got all the details. Julia. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, let's start off on Twitter. Twitter beating on the top and bottom line with 74% growth in revenue and earnings per share more than double what analysts estimated. User growth of $7 million was right in line with those expectations. But the company guided to higher revenue than projected in the third quarter of range between $1.22 billion and $1.3 billion, also saying that it expects headcount along with total costs and expenses to grow about 30% or more for the full year, and that revenue will grow faster than those expenses. I spoke to Twitter CFO Ned Siegel. He told me that for new subscription service Twitter Blue, that in the coming quarters, they will have more price points and more features and also more geographies. And he also said that business profiles, which just launched in April, will start to be able to sell things starting in the next few quarters. I asked him about the impact of Apple limiting Twitter's ability to target ads with its new operating system update. He said the impact is modest. It is too soon to say how it plays out over time, but that they're happy so far. Now, meanwhile, Snap's call just got underway. That stock up about 14%, almost 15% after beating estimates across the board. Now, not only did Snap report a $0.10 cent per share gain versus the loss anticipated, but it also added $3 million more daily active users than analysts anticipated, 13 million new daily active users in the quarter, also guiding for faster-than-expected revenue growth of 58 to 60% in the third quarter, and user growth, saying that they expect 21% user growth to $301 million. Now, in Evan Spiegel's prepared remarks, which he just started delivering, he said that they made significant progress with their augmented reality lenses with more than 200 million Snapchatters engaging uh, with AR daily on average and over 200,000 creators using their lens studio to build lenses for the community. He also noted that Spotlight, those are the user-generated snaps, they more than tripled their content submissions from the prior quarter with time spent on Spotlight growing more than 60% between Q1 and Q2. Melissa, I'm going to jump back on to that snap call, but we see those two social stocks soaring right now. All right, Julia, keep us posted. Thank you, Julia Borson. By the way, we're going to hear more from Twitter CFO Ned Siegel tomorrow, uh, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time on Squawk Box. Karen Feinerman, you said you are watching these two earnings for the impact on Facebook. And in fact, we are seeing the impact on shares of Facebook in the after-hour session. Right. I mean, 
a new all-time high for them, but new all-time high for Snap and Twitter as well. It's like they just took their business into a whole other gear. I mean, that is just phenomenal growth on top of already, you know, the stock was at an all-time high before that. So I think it bodes well for Facebook. Julia brought up the idea of, you know, what kind of impact are we going to see from Apple's new privacy rules that we don't have a full quarter yet of data on that. I'm very interested in that, but good for Google, good for Facebook. But I don't own Twitter or Snap. I think those might be Dan names uh, or guy names, but they're not my names, but uh, good for them. Uh, that was really impressive, very impressive, way, way higher than I thought they could do. Guy has been on the Twitter train for a long time, and it sounds, Guy, like, like they're at the cusp, at the, at the tip of monetization of all these different efforts. What's that word when you're steadfast behind something, like you're steadfast in steadfast. the camp? What's that? Steadfast. With an S. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I ask you, because you know these things. And we have been. Dan Power pitched this thing. Tim's talked about it. I, you still got to love Twitter. I mean, listen, I understand the comps off of last year really shouldn't make those comps, but we are up 74% year over year in revenue. But even if you go back to 2019, second quarter, revenue's up, I think, 43% year over 2019. So a remarkable quarter. I think it sets us up to trade north of that $80.75 high we made back in March. There's a lot to like here. I understand why it's probably going to trade sideways for a couple days. Maybe people that own the calls are taking some money off the table and you're going to start to see a pause. But this quarter should accelerate this stock to a new all-time high within the next two weeks, in my opinion. Yeah. What stood out to you, Tim Seymour, when when it comes to either the Snap or the Twitter? Twitter, look, first of all, you know, DAU is up 11 percent. We've, we've talked about this. People have been very critical when they haven't been able to grow their user base. And I think that's great. But the monetization, the engagement, I, I think the ad acceleration, so, so you know, leading to revenues, the revenue growth. And remember that investor day of six months ago that I've said, I think, set the bar way too high is 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 look you're, you're starting to see delivery on this what was really interesting is just to hear this is commentary but when the company mentions that they're very excited about and seeing more opportunity and follow through from small and medium-sized businesses um that's great news for twitter so that stood out to me looking at at the headlines coming off the tape here i i just think you know we all know what that means for Facebook and a majority of, of at least ad revenue, uh, despite the fact that we know that Facebook's user base is also you know, very much individualized. I think you've got a case where Twitter is, is learning how to monetize in that segment. And that's really the exciting part. Again, relative to Snap, Twitter, very, very cheap. Um, relative to its price action, Twitter has been all over the map in the last three months. It now looks like it's poised to, to break out. Look, after hours trading here has been pretty volatile so far, but obviously some excitement. And there should be. Dan, when you hear Twitter talking about the opportunities in small and medium-sized business, do you think that that's even at the margins a threat to Facebook? Or do you think that pie is growing so much there's enough for everybody? Uh, I, I think it's the latter, Mel. I mean, when you think about this company is expected to do just shy of $5 billion in sales, and you think about what Facebook's um, total sales number is, I mean, they're still a monopoly for all intents and purposes. And I think that's been a major part of the bull case for Snap and for Twitter. When you think of their low revenue bases, but you think of their growth um, in monthly or daily active users or whatever they count, they're both, I mean, combined about $450 million here. I, I will mention this about Twitter. You know, it's one reason 
reason why maybe the stock is not trading as well as Snap in the post market here. Um, you know, they lost a million users here in North America, which I think is interesting. They hit their um, their seven million. I think that was in line. The revenue guidance, while Julia said it was a beat, it's it's really just low single digits. Um, might they be setting themselves up? Tim just said back in February they had that analyst meeting that the expectations were very high. When you see that um, the bullets that I saw next to uh, you know Siegel's face there and what he's going to be talking about, you know, they have a bunch of stuff yet to launch that will be adding revenue here. It should cause um, greater engagement and that ad growth that we know has been powering the stock over the last couple of quarters, um, that is likely to get better. So to me, it's not really relative to Facebook. It's basically the pie is probably growing and these guys are now starting to find more ways to monetize their existing users, despite the fact that their users are only growing about 10% or so. In terms of what you're what you're paying for, though, Guy, in terms of growth stocks, is Twitter it or is Snap it? I mean, for Snap, it's the strongest year-on-year revenue and daily active user growth in four years, more than four years, as pointed out by Yusuf Scully over at Truist post-earnings. So, you know, does the multiple for Snap make more sense than the multiple for Twitter? Not if you look at it at a price to sales. I think the price to sales of Snap is twice that of Twitter. So just on that metric alone, I think you've got to go with Twitter. Listen, not, that, not to cast aspersions. I mean, we talked about it at the time. Snap was basically left for dead. The only thing that happened, they got the lifeline when Facebook ran into all the problems they did with the election <laughs> and stuff. Facebook took their eye off the Snap ball, and it's been off to the races ever since. But in my world, Snap's now got to close above 73.5, that prior all-time high back in February, I think in order for it to take the next leg higher. Otherwise, you're looking at a huge double top. I much would rather, since we are now playing the game of would you rather, <laughs> Twitter over Snap. I mean, you got to ask that question, don't you, Dan? I mean, I guess you don't. You can, you can certainly own both. Um, but for some people out there, they may want to, you know, they may have a, a certain allocation for social media. Yeah. And to Guy's point, though, price of sales on Twitter is about 14, and on Snap it's about 35 right now. Yeah, and on next year's numbers, I think it's like 17 versus 9 or something like that. So I'm with Guy on that front. I will tell you this, you know, um, I think Twitter is obviously a very unique property. I've thought that for a very long time. But when you look at Snap's performance in the in the wake of what TikTok has been able to do over the last year and a half, it is truly remarkable. If you had told me based on what I see my uh, my teenage daughters and how they use their their social apps, I would have told you that TikTok has kind of eaten Snap's lunch, at least from the attention standpoint. That doesn't seem to be the case. So, you know, all, kudos uh, if Guy can understand what that word means to Snap, too. The kudos word, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, Karen, in, yeah, in that's terms what we of, used to get in grade school, by the way, the kudos. If a you kudo touched, or, right, or remember plural. That? There is no singular, by the way. I looked yeah, this up. In case anybody cares oh, at all about Please. that. Um, Karen, in terms oh, really? of Facebook, and particularly, um, yeah, because it's Greek. Uh, in particular, the Instagram business, which is a very high growth business for Facebook, does this give you um, hope that Facebook's earnings will be very strong, seeing the strength that we're seeing in Snap? Yes, the only the only bad thing I can see about it is the bar has just been set higher for Facebook, right? So already it's pricing this in somewhat, as it should, right? The correlation between Instagram and Snap has always been, has been very high. So that's my only hesitation that it'll be all priced in, and you know sometimes we see so much excitement going into earnings, the bar is too high, and they just absolutely can't deliver. But I'm not going to sell in front of earnings next week. Yeah, Tim, what do you think? 
I think this is uh, get really excited for Google and Facebook. So uh, I'll, I'll take Google on that one. I didn't I didn't just would you rather, by the way, I just said I'd like Google. Um, I do think that there is <laughs> scarcity of social media investments, too. And, and then when when the core of this really is about ad acceleration and the digital ad space, uh, I think that's part of where investors need to make allocations and have exposure to this. And and, and I think that's why Snap has, has also had the move it's had, it, you know, it maybe even outperformed. Twitter. And that's why I think there's more room for Twitter to outperform. And this is this is an allocation story, but this bodes very well for Google and Facebook. Alphabet, by the way, is up one percent after hours coming up. The earnings train keeps chugging along. Intel touching after hours lows. We'll break down the big headlines as that conference call gets underway. Plus energy cooling off today. But one top technician says the sector is about to spark up. The two names he's playing for pop. Fast Money's back right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Intel. The shares of the chipmaker moving lower on the back results. The conference call is underway. Let's get straight to Josh Lipton with the details. Josh. So, well, let's remember heading into this report, Intel was up about 10% this year, but it was also down about 20% from that 52-week high back in April, as you mentioned now in the after hours, uh, giving up some more ground here. As for the report, beats on the bottom and the top, you saw gross margins clock in at 59.2%. I did catch up with Matt Bryson over at Wedbush. He says the report is a mixed bag, in his opinion. It was a good Q2 report, he says, but gross margin guidance for Q3 and Q4 is disappointing. And Matt's saying there's going to be some debate about that. Bulls are going to management uh, is just being too conservative here. But bears, he says, are going to counter that the PC cycle could be turning. CEO Pat Gelsinger is on the call right now. He says Intel is uniquely positioned to capitalize. We're in the early innings, he says, of sustained growth across this industry. And Intel is going to deliver the kind of leadership products uh, that customers look for in every category. Seven nanometer is progressing very well. He's referring there to the latest and greatest chips. As for segments, he saw we, we see sustained strength in the PC market. Data center strong as well. But that strong demand, he says, is pressuring his supply chain. Shortages will continue, he says. It could take one to two years before industry can completely meet demand. Back to you all. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton, uh, Intel shares there at the uh, after-hour session. Lowe's practically down by 3% or so. Um, Guy Dami, how do you interpret that guidance? I mean, the, the back half, I guess, is in the eye of the beholder. <clears throat> I look at it and say they beat this quarter basically by 21 cents, and they guided higher for the full year by 20 cents <laughs> in the street saying, wait a second, you look like you, you're guiding higher, but you're not really. It's not, it's not nearly as commensurate as it should be given what they're seeing this quarter. I would say data center a lot better, operating margins north of 31.5 percent 
a lot better. There's a lot to like here, not on least of which is the valuation, but there's really no growth that are people getting excited about. I don't think you're going to get that hurt at $54. This is the level that it broke out from if you recall back in January, but there are better places to be. And we've said that for a while. I mean, I think AMD and earnings next week sets up a lot better than Intel right here at 54 and a half. I mean, data center beat consensus by a little bit more than half a billion dollars. So, I mean, that was that was quite a beat there, Tim. Um, but in terms of the guidance, I mean, is it too early to cast judgment on Pat Gelsinger, the new CEO? No, I, I think we, we, we know what Pat Gelsinger can do. He's been there before. He's all about innovation. He's already said, I'm going to spend, you know, 20 to 22 billion dollars uh, next year. We know that they're going hard at work. Uh, you know, maybe this Global Foundries deal, no comment, but I think he's going to be aggressive uh, in maybe moving things faster than people expect. I think the issue is you can't turn this business around after three or four years of underinvesting in it overnight. So uh, the pop that came from this, you know, Gelsinger takes over uh, a man who's certainly been in the DNA and the fiber of the company, known for innovation, uh, comes back on board. Uh, it's going to take some time. The Boundaries, uh, seven nanometer, you know, you know, updates are great. Uh, but it, it's, you know, what I heard mm-hmm. out of this tape was really more mm-hmm. the company talking more about dynamics in PC and addressable market and what's going on overall for the industry to get back to uh, some of the supply you know, chain dynamics that it wants to. So, I, you know, I don't love the, the outlook because I don't think you could have expected a lot here. I think the stock yeah. is very cheap and that's what you're excited about. All right. For more reaction to Intel's earnings, let's bring in Jared Weisfeld, tech sector specialist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you with us. Um, would it have been too much to expect raised uh, back half of the year guidance by more than what they already beat, given Pat Gelsinger's been on the job for a matter of months? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And it's exactly what Guy was talking about. If you sort of look at the full year raise, they raised by about 20 cents. But it's very misleading under the surface, because if you actually look at for Q3, they got into a 4% tax rate. So it's actually a very low quality beat underneath the surface because they're benefiting from a very low tax rate, which is artificially boosting your EPS number. You know, that's something that IBM investors uh, can remember uh, all, all too well. But I think the, the bigger problem here and why shares are down is it's all about the second half gross margin trajectory, where the implied Q4 gross margins are really down or they're missing the street by about 200 basis points. So if you think about we're starting the year at 59% and exiting the year closer to 53%, investors are all worried, already worried about incremental competition from AMD. This is only going to feed into that narrative in a pretty significant way. So what is the trajectory? I mean, what, what do you glean from this Intel quarter in, in terms of what this means for competitors? Do you, do you see that Intel remains weak and competitors are still eating their lunch? Unfortunately, it's just more questions than answers because the, the narrative is going to be how, do we, how should we think about pricing? AMD has an incredibly competitive product, especially on the server side with their new product, Milan, and they're gaining, um, they're gaining share at a, at a faster rate versus their prior generation. So when you have that kind of gross margin trajectory, you're only going to fear the worst in terms of what that means from a pricing standpoint. And then there are a different, um, you know, it's not just AMD because then you also have you have NVIDIA, which is gaining share as well from uh, a parallel compute standpoint, just in terms of the architecture of the data center. So, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges ahead. It was a very strong quarter. Data center beat. And that's the most important thing for the stock to continue to have data center beat because it's their highest margin segment. But unfortunately, despite that data center upside in the quarter, the trajectory from a margin standpoint into the back half of the year is deteriorating. And, you know, as you think about what Gelsinger is doing to refocus this business, 
He's going to Foundry as their next growth driver. You know, he talks about having potential 100 plus Foundry customers that are potentially engaged. Uh, but the issue there is that that also could be dilutive to gross margins. Jared, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. What do you think about Global Foundries? What do you think about either strategic partnerships, M&A, uh, fast forwarding some of this move for Intel? What do you think uh, uh, the CEO is going to do? I mean, he's got he's got a large balance sheet. He talked about on the call. Um, obviously, no comment. Um, you know, he's willing to participate in general industry consolidation, and I think that's a theme that we're seeing occur across the board. And you're seeing you know, you've got healthy balance sheets across the board uh, with with within semis, right? You obviously have AMD in the process of uh, trying to acquire Xilinx. You have ADI trying to acquire Maxim. So I think he sees certainly what's going on around him and realizes that he's got. Uh, very large balance sheet, and obviously he's also has um, he has um, in federal government support. And you think about the Chips Act that's currently getting funded. There are a lot of avenues for him to go ahead and uh, and consolidate the industry longer term. How does this set up for AMD next week into their earnings release on the twenty seventh? I mean, I would look at this and say, you know what, everything points to um, a really strong quarter. Lisa Sue's been crushing it. What does this mean for AMD in your opinion in earnings next week? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, every fundamental data point continues to suggest that AMD is is gaining share. And based on our work, we think that they're gaining share at a, at a more accelerated rate as well. So uh, I think there are some there have been some questions. And I think this goes to what Gelsinger was talking about on the call in terms of supply constraints and uh, how to think about that in the second half of the year. He talked about that bottoming. You know, there was concern earlier in the year that Intel locked up a ton of substrate that would be uh, a problem for, for AMD. But then AMD three months ago got it up 50 percent for the year in terms of revenue growth. Right. Just huge numbers. Uh, and it's hard to imagine, given the momentum the business has uh, has been enjoying, that that momentum is not going to continue. So I have to imagine that Lisa Sue, the CEO, left some uh, some gas in the tank and. I think, you know, all, all, all signs are pointing to a data center acceleration similar in, into the second half, similar to what um, Gelsinger is talking about, and that should bode well for AMD. Jared, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jared Weisfeld of Jefferies. Dan, what do you think of Intel? Interesting. Uh, you know, your question to start off the segment, Mel, was, you know, new CEO, um, and then we hear, um, you know, low quality beat, right? And that's not what you want to hear, I don't think, right out of the gate. So to me, we also talked about, all right, it's cheap. I'd rather go towards Qualcomm in the mobile space. And you look at that is expected to grow earnings and sales next year, 10%, trading about 16 times. Um, seems pretty reasonable to me. They report next week also. And then also Taiwan Semiconductor. I think the outlook that they have gave the stock did get knocked down. It was about a week and a half ago um, when they reported. It's still consolidating here. And I thought some of their um, commentary about the supply disruptions was probably a little more optimistic than what we're hearing out of Intel right here. So I prefer Qualcomm on value and then Taiwan Semi um, just as a breakout of this range with some bad news in the stock near term. Karen, it's interesting that Pat Gelsinger had every opportunity, every excuse to not give much guidance. But he really kicked it off when he when he sort of laid out the outlook for for the chip giant in terms of what he was going to spend on what and, and also giving guidance. And here he is giving more guidance that just ends up disappointing when he could have easily just said things are, are fluid still. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know if he felt like he had the ability to do that. I, I would try to do it as long as I could. I always think companies hurt themselves by being in the guidance business anyway. But it seemed like the stock was sort of priced for meh. And he kind of delivered, right? So I don't know if that means it should be re-rated at all. Probably not, given that there's so much um, 
I don't know, acceleration and there's so much momentum elsewhere, even though it's priced significantly higher. Coming up, energy losing its spark today. But one technician says the bottom may be in for the beaten down space. He will explain. Plus, Blackstone breakout. What sent the stock surging on the back of its earnings results? We're digging into those details. Much more fast right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. The energy sector losing power. The XLE Energy ETF is down more than 10% in just the past month. And our next guest says now is the time to buy. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus. Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, well, we're talking about energy here today. And I think this is really in the zone of where we want to think about the call in a very oversold condition and where we should be buying some of these stocks. We look for two things when we look for a good, deep oversold. Number one, we want to see an internal flush. And then secondly, we want to see an external flush. And both of those conditions are present right now. So I brought along five charts. The first slide that I'll just show you is looking earlier this week, we got a flush in the number of stocks making new three-month lows uh, in the sector. About 55% of the energy sector made a three-month low this week. When you're in an uptrend, energy is in a longer-term uptrend. When you're in an uptrend and you get these surges in new lows, it typically means you're pretty close to a good tradable bottom. You're in the zip code or you're in the ballpark. We got that condition uh, earlier this week. The second thing we look for, and if you go to the second slide, we look for an externally oversold condition. So we got a 14-day RSI kind of in the 30 neighborhood this week. That was the first oversold condition for the XLE since September. So we have both that internal flush and that external flush. That's a very good combination, particularly when so many of the constituents are still in long-term uptrends. And that's really our third chart here. What I want to show you is this bottom panel. 90% of the constituents of the XLE are still above their 200-day moving average. So when you have good long-term trends and you get good flushed-out short-term oversold conditions, that's typically a very viable cocktail that's present. What are two names we can use to take advantage uh, of this here? I want to show you Hess first. And I think some perspective here uh, is important. Now, Hess was up 160% since November. We've consolidated 15, 16% uh, over the last couple of months. It's now oversold. There is very good support in the low 70s. That's where we traded to on Monday morning. I think that is the zone or that is the ballpark where this will bottom for the remainder uh, of the year. I like adding to it here. And then lastly, we always joke, this is our favorite FANG in the index. This is ticker FANG. It's Diamondback uh, is the stock, energy name. It's up 300% since November. It's come in 30 over the last couple months. So good long-term uptrend. It's been flushed in the short term. Great support near 75. We're a buyer of this stock. So you kind of have all the ingredients coming together to get more aggressive in the energy sector, thinking about the next six months here. Chris, just quickly, while we have you, what's your next call on rates? Uh, I think up. Uh, I, I, I think this this week we put a port low in, holding that 110, 112 neighborhood. What you want to watch for is 129. If we go out tomorrow, Friday afternoon, close the week above 129, 
we would have made back the entire week of decline in rates. I think that's a very, very big reversal level here. All right, Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Brown of Strategus. I asked that question, Dan, because if you, and I say you at meaning Dan Nathan, believe that rates could go lower um, or be lower or stay lower, can you believe in the energy trade? Uh, sure. I, I mean, listen, I, I don't think rates are going to go that much lower. I think you may see a break of that Tuesday low and maybe you get somewhere just above 1%. Once we get by next week's Fed meeting, I think that all eyes are obviously going to be on Jackson Hole and any pivot and any hint towards a taper at some point late in the year. And I think rates are going to go up very quickly. and We may establish a new range above 1.5% in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. That being said, if rates go up too far too fast, then I think crude oil has some problems. And we also see um, the dollar going, uh, or at least very firm here, um, with the Dixie just around 93. So, you know, again, my, my point of view on the rate thing has been that it's been pointed to the fact that the recovery is not going to be linear, it's not going to be globally coordinated, and we're going to have fits and starts. And I think, you know, crude got a little ahead of itself and it corrected on money in a meaningful way. And it stopped right at that two year um, uptrend. So, you know, should it hold? I hope it holds. If it doesn't hold, um, you know, you have moved maybe back towards um, 60 in the not so distant future. So to me, the technicals are important here. I just don't think rates are a great press here. But I think if you see them take a take a move back towards one percent, I think they're going to start moving up um, rather precipitously as we get further into the summer close to Jackson Hole. Guy, what do you think of the names Chris flagged? One, uh, can I go off the charts for 500, please, Melissa? Because there is one that he didn't mention that I happen to like, and I know you hate it when we play our own reindeer games, but Halliburton, to me, sticks out like a sore thumb. Upgraded at Goldman Sachs to buy from neutral. I think a $26 price target, just reported earnings, held that 19 level, which was the April low. I think out of all the names, if you want to be an OIH, and Tim actually might agree with me on this one, I think Halliburton sets up really well. Quickly, Tim, do you agree? Agree with Guy. Um, I think the, the, the best of breed in the space, which I still think there's not total conviction from broader investors, is, is Chevron EOG. And I actually believe it's Schlumberger. Those are great balance sheets. Those are capital disciplined companies. And I think all the trends that Chris talked about could be played out through those three. All right. By the way, not everybody sees rising oil prices as an opportunity to buy energy names. Read about HSBC's downgrade of the sector on our website. Go to CNBC.com slash pro for more. Coming up, a big day for Blackstone. Shares of the private equity firm surging on the back of a big beat will break down the results. Plus, Didi in distress. Why investors are dumping the brakes on the Chinese ride-hailing service. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Blackstone in the green today. The stock climbing more than 4% following a big earnings beat. The investment company reporting a record $684 billion in assets under management. Today's pop adding to an impressive run for Blackstone. Shares are up more than 13% this month alone. Guy, you have been on this for I don't know how long at this point. Steve Schwartzman's the man. I mean, the entire group. I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to get added. Blackstone is what Goldman Sachs used to be and wishes they were now. And I will say, despite the move we've seen over the last couple months, there's still room to the upside. People say valuation is rich. I get it. But there are not a lot of folks out there that are doing what Blackstone is. Great visibility in terms of the fee-based businesses are in. And, oh, by the way, we broke in with a story, I think, a week and a half or so ago, that partnership or that deal with AIG. That gets them in an entirely new vertical. I mean, 
you know, I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to rue the day that I did say it. But the sky's the limit. And I think the stock, despite the move, can continue to go higher. Yeah, to that very point, um, Schwartzman on the on the call or in, in the earnings release said that it, second quarter was the most consequential ever for Blackstone because of the move into those new verticals, Tim. Yeah, and it's exciting. And then if you also look at some of the exposure on the new funds, especially some exposure to, to Asia at a time when it's not exactly very hot, an incredible private equity business. And I, I would agree, the smartest guys in the room, $37.3 billion raised in the quarter, including $19 billion in credit. Um, this is the story here. They're a fundraising machine and, and realized dynamics and, and liquidity environment that we live in today is is also extraordinary for exits. So um, look, it's it's the perfect climate for a firm like Blackstone. It won't always be, um, but I think it can go higher. Great dividend yield too. I mean, it's not a bank. Obviously, it falls under the financial umbrella. And Steve Schwartzman is no Jamie Dimon, Karen. But do you like Blackstone? <laughs> I do. I mean, I've missed it. And kudos to Kudo, one, multiple kudos to, to <laughs> Guy, who's been on it for 70 or 80 points or so. I think the thing, you know, normally companies like this face succession issues. I think they have a very, very great Jonathan Gray, who I think is brilliant and will, you know, has really sort of taken the mantle already. He's done an extraordinary job. The valuation here is I looked, you know, at the chart, the correlation between Blackstone and the S&P. And for a while, it was pretty close, not surprisingly. But then in the last year, it just took off and went into the stratosphere. And uh, so, I mean, I can't buy it here because I can't buy it at a place that's 70 points higher than where it was. Mm -hmm. But they've done an extraordinary job. No question. It is a machine. It should be priced at a super premium. And it is. Could you, Dan, buy it here? Uh, I, listen, I, I just don't buy things that go straight up like that. I, and I think everything that they had to say about Jonathan Gray and these new businesses and the AIG thing, just from some of the stuff that I've been reading um, since that announcement, maybe over a week ago, it just does seem like it could be transformative. And there's probably other businesses um, that they can kind of get into in the same uh, way. So to me, it definitely seems kind of interesting. And, you know, Mel, you just mentioned uh, JP Morgan. And, you know, Karen's got a little thing for somebody over there. I'll just tell you something that doesn't look so hot. Look at that chart on JP Morgan here. Is is that the forming of a head and shoulders top? Maybe a neckline down there at 146. I see a gap fill maybe down to that 200-day moving average. You know, maybe some of these kind of newfangled financial institutions are kind of stealing some of the thunder from some of these big money centers. And obviously, you know, rates have been a pressure on this thing. We already saw the bank earnings, and I think the stocks didn't trade particularly well, despite them being very good. And maybe Q2 was as good as it gets. So to me, I, I look at some of these banks, and I'm still not particularly um, ready to say they're cheap and and really pricing in um, everything that people are expecting in the second half of this year. All right. Coming up, shares of Didi heading downhill as China cracks down on the ride-hailing giant. But is it is the worst yet to come? We will discuss that. Plus, get your pizza. Domino's serving up some big gains today. We'll tell you what's got Wall Street so hot on this stock. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Didi plunging more than 10 percent and reports that China could be considering an even harsher crackdown on the ride-hailing stock. Deirdre Bosa joins us with all the details. Debo. 
Well, Melissa, if you thought that earlier crackdowns on Ant Group and Alibaba, you thought those were bad, the damage to Didi could end up being far worse. Bloomberg is now reporting that Chinese regulators are considering a slew of, quote, serious and unprecedented penalties from a massive fine to a forced delisting or even a state-owned investor. Now, that, of course, would come on top of the pain that has already been inflicted. Namely, its app has been removed from Chinese app stores. It's been prohibited from signing up new users. Its offices raided. And, of course, there's those tens of billions of dollars that have been wiped off its market cap in just a matter of weeks. Investors, they were already wondering when and where would all of this end? And is this crackdown about protecting user data or reigning in monopolies or getting Chinese companies to list on their own homegrown exchanges or perhaps all of the above while they and we wait for answers or some kind of indication? Shares of Didi and other U.S. listed companies continue to feel the pressure. We got a note the KWeb ETF is lower by 20 percent year to date. And even some of the big names like JD.com and Alibaba saw bounce today. They're also lower on the year. Melissa. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Tim Seymour, we were just talking about Alibaba yesterday in the context of the unknown regulatory landscape. And here we are talking about a potential delisting. I mean, yes, that could be the extreme penalty here. But the fact that it's even on the table is pretty shocking. On the table. Yeah. Yeah, and, and guess, guess who also owns a piece of Didi? Uh, try Alibaba, try Tencent, two, you know, two of the, the, the poster children with targets on their backs, and the cybersecurity authority, the cyberspace authority of China um, is, is basically free to do what they want. I've said this before, when I think about the world we lived in 20 years ago, when, when uh, resources and oil specifically were of national significance and importance and, and strategic assets, uh, data is the new oil. And, and, and guess what? I mean, this reminds me a lot of crackdowns we've seen in other countries, uh, especially places like Russia, where I spent a lot of time about it. I hate this. Um, I, and, and at first, uh, I've said this, I'm, I'm, I'm not adding to any Chinese investments here. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to kill the golden goose. I do think that these companies have uh, gotten religion. But, you know, two days after they raised four and a half billion, four point four billion at sixteen dollars and forty cents or so, it's a ten dollar stock. No signs of let up. Um, yeah. And clearly this this is a message that's being sent. They may not want to kill the golden geese, but there certainly is a lot of potential downside from here to that point, Karen. And so when you think about shares of Alibaba and granted, we just talked about it yesterday. You're an investor, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. At what point do you start thinking, you right. know what, it's just too murky? Um, well, sort of in Tim's camp that I haven't added. Normally, if I have a stock, I like the valuation. I like the business. I would be adding here. But I haven't. Um, this is the way I've chosen to play what I think of as authoritarian capitalism, which is clearly difficult. Um, but I think that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it, they're not the target at the moment. Um, I, you know, I, Didi, even though it's down a lot, that's something I wouldn't consider because that one is even far murkier to me. The delisting is sort of the ultimate. Um, that, it, that does make me somewhat afraid. But um, I'm staying with it for a while. I do have to look at some, some put protection, though, or put spreads or something for that unknown. Coming up, Domino's dishing out some new all-time highs today. How our traders are digging into this record run. Much more fast right after this.
Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is sitting down with Domino CEO Rich Allison for an exclusive one-on-one. You won't want to miss that interview. Top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, take a look at shares of Domino's topping the tape today. The stock heading a new all-time high, a strong demand for pizza, fueled better than expected earnings in its latest quarter. Same-store sales were up 3.5% despite food and delivery price increases. And the food stocks, by the way, have been on fire. Chipotle and Starbucks also hitting new record highs in today's session. Guy, I think it was pretty early in the morning, or maybe it was during the session today, you said uh, burrito blowout continues. In emojis, of course. You said in emojis. Yeah. No, but I was I was actually talking about the stock. I, you know, I wasn't talking about what was t- transpiring at my abode, as they say. And it's funny you mentioned <laughs> Domino's because, as you know, I spent a day working at Domino's. Stock has been off to the races ever since. Shake Shack will catch up, but McDonald's is where you want to be. And we've also been, that was that word you told me before, steadfast in that one as well. I know Tim has thoughts, but McDonald's in earnings next week. Given what we've heard from the rest of these guys and gals, mm-hmm. sets up extraordinarily well. Speaking of McDonald's, Mike Coe spotted some sizzling options activity on one stock today. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, I was taking a look at McDonald's, and as Guy pointed out, it seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm here. This one, too, hitting a 52-week high today. We saw calls trade more than two times their average daily volume, and bullish trades outpaced bearish ones by more than two to one. Right now, the options market is implying that this stock could move about 2.9% after they report earnings. That may not seem like a lot, but this isn't a stock that moves a great deal on average. Over the last eight quarters, it's only moved about 1.7%. And the options that capture earning that we're seeing the most activity were the July 30th weekly. Those are the ones that expire a week from tomorrow. 240 strike calls. We saw about 2,500 of those trading for $2.65. What we're seeing basically is options traders risking just over 1% of the current stock price to make a bullish bet going into earnings. And given the fact that options premiums are actually relatively low here going into that catalyst, I think this trade makes a lot of sense. Dan, what do you make of all the bullishness surrounding these fast food trades? Um, I think McDonald's in particular, you look at that consolidation since about early April or so, it's been trading between 230 and 238 or so, that, that call strike that Mike identified in the July 30th, the weeklies, that's kind of binary. You know, that's not kind of my jam. You get that direction wrong just by a little bit, um, and you're going to have a total loser. I'd look out to August expiration. The August 240 calls cost about 315. That's about 1.7% of the stock price. You have a lot of time to make that up, and if for any reason this stock rages like Chipotle or, or Domino's did, that thing is going to be, um, that's, that's the strike you want to own and you want to kind of push it out a little bit, I suspect. He just did like a fix my trade within the options action <laughs> franchise and it's pretty amazing. Um, Tim, you're in a couple of these. Yeah, I, McDonald's, I, I stay long. I, I think some of the same playbook or the same jam, as Dan uses the term, is, is what's working for McDonald's as is working for Chipotle. It's, it's, it's digital tire ticket uh, it's higher ticket sizes, it's loyalty programs. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the past talking about what McDonald's has done in terms of their digital, the kiosks, and, and frankly, a hipper approach to their menu. So um, although I, I think they're going to bread and butter and core, and they are the golden arches of old, and I think they're being embraced. And I think the valuation is absolutely getting pulled up by Domino's and Chipotle. And I'd say, you know, stay with that trade. All right. Uh, Mike Coe, thank you. See you tomorrow for a full half hour of Options Action, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. We do have a buzz kill for you that will definitely kill your buzz if you own these shares in particular. Boston Beer sinking in the after hours after reporting a miss on the top and the bottom lines. The culprit disappointing sales 
of hard seltzers. The company is saying it overestimated the growth of the hard seltzer category and the demand for Truly. That stock is down right now by 19 percent. Karen, it seems like everybody and their brother has got a hard seltzer brand at this point if you walk into the supermarket aisles, which I'm not sure you you do often, but you know that for a fact. I don't, I don't, but I do know that hard seltzer, I mean, is everywhere in my house. They, uh, you know, and after a night of the kids being alone, it's everywhere in the house. So I, it's super popular for sure. But it's interesting to me that it's kind of, I don't know if peaked is the right word, but it got incredibly competitive already. I'm sort of surprised. So I would let, I would let Sam shake out a little bit and uh, get over the hangover and then maybe look at it a little while later. Guy, your two cents on this? Those commercials, just on the back of those commercials alone, this stock d- deserves to be down twice as much as it's down there. Those commercials, like what do they call that when your ear, the ear tick things there, make me crazy, number one. Number two, the stock had a huge move to the upside. Another $100, it's given the entire thing back. That probably makes sense. And I think Tim would echo this as well. It just goes to show you how ahead of the curve a Constellation Brands was and continues to be. And those, what are those things? The hard seltzers? I've been to those kids' parties and seen every single one of those cans is half-filled. Every time you walk around, they're open, but they're half-filled. What does that tell you? It tells you they have a couple sips and they say these things are lousy. Back to you, Mel. <laughs> Tim, what do, you, what do you think of a guy's Constellation uh, assessment? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm bullish on Constellation, yeah. uh, despite the fact that my next uh, white seltzer or whatever we're calling it will be will be my first one. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I didn't drink wine coolers or Zima in high school uh, wait, wait, or wait. college. You didn't Why have would I a sip of now? Bartles and James. You really strike me as a Bartles Absolutely and James kind of guy. Absolutely not. Uh, really? No way. No way. Right. Scouts honor. Scouts. Nah, what was there? Why would you go near a Bartles and James? I think. <laughs> I, anyway, it's it's no. But but I do. But I do like what Constellation's done. I think they've actually downsized some of their uh, their broader portfolio and their beer portfolio right. is actually doing quite well. So drink a beer, drink the whole thing, as Guy says, and be All happy. Right. <laughs> Final trades up next. Final trade, Tim Seymour. Energy trade, again, best of breed, EOG, despite these derivative hedges that cost them a lot of money. I think it's a great company. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, on the heels of what we were just talking about with McDonald's and Domino's, like Starbucks, I think their digital game is really good. Also, I know it's high, but it should be. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Intel feels like a value trap here. I'd go with Taiwan Semi, TSM. Guy Dami. In that same vein, AMD. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.